Constitutions last about 19 years on average. That means somewhere in the world, a constitution was born with you, and by the time you started college, that constitution was getting shooed out of its home too. So, how does a nation go about creating a new constitution? Welcome to The Connector, where we bring together innovative, groundbreaking, and collaborative research inside the UT Austin political science universe. I'm your host, Stuart Tendler. This inaugural episode is the first in a three-part series, drawing from an in-depth conversation with Zach Elkins and Robert Schaefer of the Constitute Project. In this episode, we talk about the origins of the Comparative Constitutions Project, which helps anyone compare just about any constitution in the world. How does the United States Constitution compare to, say, France, Indonesia, Russia? You can find out. We discuss how comparative constitutions led to the creation of the Constitute Project, which gives modern-day constitutional drafters model texts to help them write new constitutions more effectively. We conclude part one by discussing the importance of how data is presented. Constitute collaborated with the Texas Advanced Computing Center and brought their research to life. They exploded their data onto sprawling wall displays at a public museum exhibit. Patrons could walk up to graphs, charts, and maps to not only analyze the data, but actively interact with it to learn in new and exciting ways. Well, why don't we start with some introductions? We're here with Robert Schaefer and with Zach Elkins. And Zach, why don't you tell us who you are? Yes. Uh, so I'm a professor, associate professor, actually, in the Department of Government. I work on, uh, these days, a lot on constitutions and the origins and effects of national constitutions. I generally work in the area of comparative politics, um, especially with respect to Latin America, uh, but also deal with issues of national identity and institutional reform. And Robert, who are you? I'm a fourth-year PhD student in the Department of Government. I mostly study institutional design in the context of law and legal text. Uh, I do a lot of computational work, so a lot of computational text analysis of law and legislation and sort of the, the structure of law and how that reflects political balance of power and uh, that sort of thing. Excellent. And we're here today to talk primarily about Constitute, Zach, I'm, I guess, most interested to just know where this project came from and, and how this idea started and, and how it got going. Yeah. Well, it has its roots in the Comparative Constitutions Project, uh, which is something that uh, I founded in direct with my colleague Tom Ginsburg, who's at the University of Chicago. And in 2005, we decided that what the world needed was a data set on the content of constitutions. Nothing like that existed before. Uh, we were interested in all sorts of research questions uh, regarding the origins of constitutions and their effects. And to answer those questions, really, you need to know what's in constitutions. So we developed this data set uh, and uh, we collected, first of all, what we did was to identify when constitutions changed, when they were written, when they were replaced, when they were revised, when they were suspended, et cetera, all those events. And so that's a massive historical undertaking unto itself. Uh, but then we had to collect all the texts associated with those changes and then read them and analyze them and essentially uh, record their contents using this uh, inventory, this conceptual inventory that identified all the concepts and aspects of constitutions in which we were interested. And so we built this data set, and we've been 
combing and analyzing that data set for five or six years now. And we learned as we started to get into the business of constitutional design that it is, in fact, a business that people are writing constitutions constantly. And as you can imagine, the people writing constitutions need a lot of help. They've never really done this before. They'll likely never do it again. And they have some basic needs in terms of research analysis. And essentially, the, the best way to get a sense of what you want in your constitution is to see, to see what others have done. And so our data set was interesting to them uh, to the extent that we could understand these patterns in constitutional design over the last 200 years. But what we discovered is what they really needed was some actual text. So if they have a deadline and they have to come up with some text for a certain provision, uh, let's say on the environment, they need to look at some model text from other constitutions. And so what we found ourselves doing in our consulting work was to send along, you know, 10 or 15 model provisions, uh, depending on what this constitutional designer wanted to maximize, they could choose among these and select one. But what we realized was, you know, why should we be doing this uh, consulting work and reinventing the wheel each time? Why not have an online repository of constitutions which was indexed in a really refined way that allowed people to pull out excerpts on any given topic. So we took that idea and we started thinking about it. And like academics, we started writing proposals to get grant funding for it. Um, and that developed the idea further. Uh, I ultimately shopped this around to, to Google, which of course knows a little something about search. And so it was the natural partner for this kind of project, and they were really interested. And we ended up partnering with a part of Google, which is a really exciting, which is Google Ideas. And it essentially is the sort of the think do tank of Google. And uh, working with them was a real pleasure. They had all sorts of ideas on the substantive side, but of course, a lot of engineering support. And they helped fund the project here at Texas. And it was just a really nice partnership. So one of the first things that jumps out to me is uh, this idea that there are people out there kind of actively drafting constitutions. And this is something that's, that's happening now and happening frequently, which I don't know if I'm odd in this way, but kind of surprises me. I kind of think of constitutions being written very infrequently. Are there lots of people out there right now actively writing constitutions? Yeah, so Stu, you're not alone in thinking that uh, people are always surprised about how often uh, constitutional turnover happens. And we discovered this in a real formal way because one of the first things we did with our data was to look at the lifespan of constitutions. So Tom and I wrote this book with James Melton in which we took our chronology of events and tried to identify how long constitutions last and what the conditions were that led to, uh, uh, to, to constitutional demise. And um, we discovered that constitutions last on average about 19 years before they're replaced, and they're revised almost constantly in many countries. So on average, uh, about four or five constitutions will be replaced a year, and some 30 or 40 will be amended in smaller ways each year. So it's, it is surprising that that much activity is going on, which makes this whole business a lot more interesting. Robert, if we could turn to you for a second, one of the things that I love about this project is how much Zach has incorporated a, a pretty large group of graduate students into the research and, and into the project. Tell us a little bit about that, how you got involved in it, what you do. 
Well, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. The project has been a ton of fun as a, as a graduate student and uh, the, the sort of community that's grown up around this project has been huge for me, both sort of professionally and socially as a, as a grad student. So I got involved in Constitute. I worked for Zach the semester before I started in graduate school over the summer, uh, doing some of the coding work that, that Zach mentioned earlier, reading and, and, and sort of coding data from constitutions. Pretty early on during my first year, Zach was sort of batting around some ideas about how we might go about turning that hand-coded text into sort of machine-readable data. I had a little bit of a programming background in my undergraduate. Uh, that turned into probably a pushing a year's worth of work um, that was really a, a huge learning experience for me. We had to sort of extract the structure of all these constitutions. You know, constitutions are, are these sort of systematic documents that are organized into chapters and articles and titles. We had to extract all that information. We had to connect sort of conceptual tags to the right locations and text. We had to do all of these fairly complicated computational tasks. And I think that you mentioned that sort of the, the project has kind of a, a group feel, which I think is totally true. My father was a biology professor, and so my image of academia has always been the lab and the lab group. And I think Constitute is the closest I've ever seen to to the lab in the social sciences, and it's it's really wonderful, and it's something that not everybody gets to experience in graduate school. What are you specifically working on in the project right now? So at some point when we launched Constitute, uh, we got in touch, or uh, the people at the National Constitution Center got in touch with us because they'd been following what we were doing. And I started talking about, to the director there, Jeffrey Rosen, and we realized that we had a lot of areas of cooperation that would be interesting to pursue. How does the U.S. Constitution compare to other constitutions in various ways? So uh, Jeff Rosen and I were talking about how we might use the Comparative Constitutions Project data and the Constitute data to actually do some of those analyses. So at one point, we said, you know what, why don't we, the National Constitution Center has this amazing museum exhibit on the U.S. Constitution. Why don't we develop some visual interactives uh, online, but then also on these really big screens uh, to show some of our data? And Robert was sort of the principal person on that project working night and day with people in the visualization lab at the Texas uh, Advanced Computing Center, which is an amazing place. It has screens the size of jumbotrons. I think at one point it had the biggest screen in the world. Uh, so all this did basically show data that you couldn't see otherwise. And so we started working with them to develop these interactives. And all of that was was sort of fascinating stuff, um, both technically and and as sort of a design experience and a, and a sort of outreach experience. In the, the visualization lab, which is uh, the visualization lab is mostly interested in sort of taking data that's sort of hard to think about or hard to imagine. So a lot of their work is with biomedical people who have, you know, giant genomic data sets or uh, phylogenetic data sets of sort of trees of life or things like that that people want to display visually and using sort of visualizations to help people develop research questions. That's sort of their mission. And so they were very interested in, in in turning to sort of social science data and how one might use visualizations to to get research questions out of that. And so we developed a number of of sort of visualizations. Uh, the probably the the most fun one for us was what we called the wheel of rights. If you can imagine a big wheel up on a screen, you could spin and and see sort of rights begin to populate the wheel as as sort of time flowed onwards. Um, for the museum. 
for their for their at least their initial exhibit, they wanted something a little more sort of focused on the on the U.S. setting in particular. And so for them, there were sort of two main uh, products that we built for them. Um, one was what we called an edit flow diagram. So the U.S. Bill of Rights is debated in Congress, and there's a lot of documentary history on versions of the Bill of Rights that were proposed and of each amendment, the sort of you know amendment history of the amendments, as it were. And we wanted to sort of show the process by which the text was developed. So on the Second Amendment, for example, the right to bear arms, there were a number of, of versions that were proposed, some of which uh, gave a very sort of circumscribed version of, of the right to bear arms, where it was very explicitly focused on on militias and sort of defense of the state and others that restricted the right to bear arms to very specific purposes like hunting or that sort of thing. And so you, you can sort of learn interesting things about kind of the you know ideas that were, that were proposed and rejected and other ways that those amendments might have looked. The other visualization we we provided was um, a one that was more comparative, uh, a sort of a world map visualization. We call it rights around the world that let people see uh, which countries possessed the rights that were that are contained in the in the U.S. Bill of Rights. So which countries were sort of the closest um, in terms of their sort of general themes and and content to the U.S. Bill of Rights. That was a fun one. It's, it's sort of a it's an entryway into seeing you know the way that sort of constitutional rights look around the world and and sort of a, a way to to see the the sort of more detailed stuff that we have on the Constitute site in a in a sort of map visualization form, which sort of is is a nice way to get at the data in a in a kind of a museum setting. I think one thing that was really interesting and fun for both Robert and I was in some ways the outreach aspect of all this because of course we all you know we're mostly spending our time writing papers and rarely if at all uh, would we have the chance to actually have our work somewhere in a museum and especially in the National Constitution Center which somebody described to me recently as the Disneyland for constitutional junkies and uh, I think that's a pretty apt description but right now through our cooperation with the National Constitution Center we now have a major part of their exhibit devoted to our website. And so we have this constitute area where people can go play on these tablets and play on our website. But the other thing we have um, is on these screens, it, we have this rights interactive area and there uh, somebody can go and play with our visualizations. And we now have our data and our analyses on a museum floor somewhere. And that's a really exciting thing, I think, for both of us. Uh, I remember when this was unveiled in the National Constitution Center, it was kind of a big deal. We had one Supreme Court justice give the keynote address. Um, the governor of Pennsylvania was there. Uh, Jeb Bush introduced the whole thing. It's a nonpartisan venture there, but there had it was a star-studded group of Republicans and Democrats introducing uh, our interactive and the new part of the museum. So that was really fun for the two of us to actually see uh, our work and our data in action with people like that. And then I'm going to take a crack, if I can, of describing also some of these visualizations, which are on the cutting room floor. So Robert talked about two visualizations that are actually on the museum floor, but there's a lot more that ended up on the cutting room floor. And this wheel of rights, uh, which Robert was describing, is one of those. And that's really a cool thing where somebody can see where and when certain rights under which categories existed in the world. And so you can go and you can spin this wheel and the wedges on the wheel, the slices of this big pie or wheel are countries. And then there are little bits and pieces of the pie that are the rights. And you can 
tap those and expand them. Uh, you can go through time really nicely. And the whole, I think, sort of these trends jump out to you in a really interesting way. And, of course, you can tap rights and see what a particular country's excerpt pertaining to that right actually says. And that's really fun. There's a second visualization, which also ended up on the cutting room floor, which is the thing we, that we sometimes called reigning rights. And that was supposed to show when rights evolved. And so you could see rights as these bubbles coming down from the top of the screen. Um, and the bubbles would get bigger as more countries would adopt that right. The bubbles would sometimes pop if it were a, a right that actually went out of existence, which is really rare. But you got a sense of... Um, how popular certain rights were and when across the world in this really cool interactive way. You could go and you could take the bubble and you could slam it against other bubbles and they would uh, ricochet off other bubbles. And so kids loved it. It worked for three-year-olds and it worked for 95-year-olds. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, but one thing, though, that, that kind of comes out in in thinking through your discussion of the visualization, I mean, other than it does sound like a lot of fun, and all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense that this would be in a museum, right? I'm kind of thinking, and again, it sort of breaks the, I think, stereotype, for lack of a better word, of constitutions being stale and old and just sort of this piece of parchment paper and calligraphy, but this is like, I feel like I'm in a science museum, right? Like. Yeah with the big bubble things and just listening to you talk about it, it sounds fun. Uh, so that's yeah, really, we're really cool. jealous, I think, of the hard sciences and how they can have this fun stuff in science museums. And so it's about time the Constitution's yeah. had their day. Thanks for listening to this first episode of The Connector. We hope you enjoyed what you heard and we'll tune in for part two, where we dive deeper into data visualization. If you have any questions or comments, you can find me at gov.utexas.edu.